This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Hey everybody, welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast about the books that you've been meeting to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And that's right, folks. The Nintendo Switch is here in my house. It was available on Amazon, and even though I don't technically probably have the money to spend on it, <laughs> I charged it. Cha-ching! To yeah. my credit card. Yeah. Because I just, I, I'm going to want it eventually to play the Mario game in four, three months. <laughs> It's me, poor Mario. It's <laughs> it's a me delayed gratification. So yeah, it's here. It's in the house. It's switching. It's clicking. I don't have any games for it. I put a, an SD card in it though to expand its storage. That was fun. And then I I formatted it. That's just like making an empty cabinet bigger. I uh, I connected it to my Wi-Fi network. What did it find? It in my it connected well and smoothly. This... Um, I connected it to my Nintendo account. Andrew, I if so there's I can one play thing online with my friends. If there's one thing I know about you, it's that you're financially responsible. Who are you? <laughs> what have you done with my Andrew? Just eventually, I'll need to play Mario on it. Okay, and it's hard to find, so I bought it now. That's how. That's that's what they call a sound investment. Mm, you invested in future Andrew, is what you're mm-hmm. saying. Or future yeah. Andrew stole $300 from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that guy's always doing that stuff. Well, you're a big nerd, Andrew, which is important, because we're going to be talking about The Nerd by Larry Shu this week. It's a play uh, that oh, was wow. recommended to us uh, by Patreon donor Stephanie. So thanks, Stephanie. A play, for those of you who are not oh. familiar, is like a book that people get up and act out for you. Yeah, it's well, it's I, like a bedtime story, except you pay a lot of money to go see it. Yeah, that's some people get sleepy in dark rooms, Andrew. I don't want to hold that against them. Listen, I've never fallen asleep during a play, but I, there have been some close calls. Uh, so we're talking about this play. Uh, it was written by Larry Shu. Um, and the play itself, I want to say, premiered in 1981. Uh, yeah, Shu was born in 46. Um, unfortunately, and he died, in, he died yeah. in 1985 in a plane crash. Like, yeah, not long before what would have been his first big like Broadway debut. So he was a playwright and an actor. Um, he was probably best known for this play and also another one called The Foreigner, which sounds pretty. Farcical. I mean, yeah. they're both farces. So the the foreigner. The foreigner. I'd heard of. I had not heard of the nerd uh, before I read it, but the foreigner I had heard of. That's about a guy who like ends up in who some loves the band foreigner. Yeah, and he also ends up in like a hotel or something. I don't know. He's in. He pretendly. I read lodge. about. It. He, he pretends he can't speak English, and yes. so everybody confides in him. And he uncovers some sort of dastardly plot or something, yeah, I believe, yeah. is the thing. Um, so that there's a lot of like farcical irony there where, you know, we know things, the, he knows things, and the characters 
don't when they say them out loud. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Shu, uh, he served in the Vietnam War, which is relevant. We'll talk about that in this play a little bit. Um, he then went and got his degree and then started writing plays. He had a role on One Life to Live, mm-hmm. which is cool. Um, he was an actor and playwright in residence at Milwaukee Repertory Theater, which is where this play premiered. Um, he starred in the premiere of it. Uh, Milwaukee Rep's still going strong. They're great theaters. They hire folks out of Philly all the time. So if you're in Milwaukee uh, and want to go see something, that's not a bad place to go. So th- this premiered there. I have that it premiered in London's West End. Uh, that was, or was that a later production? Because that it was it the was next the, production. Yeah. Okay. The nerd was the top-grossing American play there in '86, and then its first Broadway performance was in '87, um, two years after he had died. And um, yeah, he was he wasn't like ultra super famous or anything, but I think when he died, there was some um, there were some nice obituaries. Like he was he was considered to be an up and comer, and it was just it's too bad that he. Died young. I mean, yeah. it's always too bad when somebody dies young. Unless I want to like Hitler check. or something. Yeah. So he was born twenty years after Neil Simon, and I could see shoe fill like not filling an exact niche because Neil Simon is Neil Simon. Um, but he seemed like he might be on that tra- trajectory of sure. like. I mean, if the shoe fits. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> that's awful <laughs> oh man um but yeah and uh as we said he he died before it made it to broadway it was when it was on broadway andrew do you know who starred in it i don't know mark hamill really and it was directed by charles nelson riley wow that's a- <laughs> it's like a second tier rogues gallery yeah it's like pretty a- good huh um, so yeah, that's that's shoe in a nutshell, really. Mm-hmm. Um, they were, I think Disney may or may not have been working on like a movie of it. That never came to to happen. It was turned into like a TV pilot at one point. That I could see it being a pilot that didn't get picked up. Like that sounds like yeah, cre- creatively that's about the level that it's operating on. And like it, that's that's exactly as much attention as it deserves. And it aired i think but never became anything which is cool huh. it, it got aired but yeah you know that'll that happen. doesn't happen a lot yeah no um did you find anything else about Shu? i think that's all there i mean he's he's a dude who wrote some plays and it's unfortunate we didn't get any more plays out of him yeah that's about yeah that's what i have too and he's got you know he's got a few more plays but none as noteworthy as these and then i've got some reviews of a particular production of the nerd that we can talk about, but I think that's pretty much all there is to say when it comes to old Larry Shoe. Old Larry Shoe. Lawrence Shoe. I hope that's what it's from. Do we know that? No. <laughs> all right, great. <laughs> so let's. Sounds like you need a break, Andrew. Sounds like you need to get back yeah, to your whew. Switch. I've been working hard. Okay, you, where you're going to take a break, uh, play some Switch, and we'll come back and we'll talk about this play. Okay. Sorry, I'll be right with you. Okay, great. I'm getting hungry over here, Andrew. You don't um, take up too much time. Okay. Um. All right. No, we should. Um. <laughs> it's time for dinner. So okay. What are What are we eating? Let me. I'm gonna. I got to a safe point in my trailer. I'm turning it off now. <laughs> 
So uh, what are we what are we gonna eat? What you make me? We're gonna eat some Blue Apron, Andrew. Now Blue Apron is the first is the number. It's not the first, but it's the number one. <laughs> I can Did you read. Just see number one and think it was the first. <laughs> it's the number one fresh ingredient recipe delivery service in the country, uh, and their goal is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. I presume you could even like put down your switch for just a few seconds to make some yeah. dinner with Blue Apron's help. Um, I so, could, but will I? Yeah, probably you will. Mm-hmm. Um, Blue Apron uh, has partnerships with over 150 local farms, fisheries, and rancheries across the United States, which helps them. Rancheries, huh? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> okay. fisheries and ranchers. I'm having a hard time with this copy, huh? Do you need Do you need some help there? Yeah, why don't you help do, me out? I'm need, real distracted. Do you, need to, do you need me to tell you that the seafood <laughs> is sourced sustainably under standards developed in partnership with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch? I appreciate you helping me out. Thank you for telling that to me. You're welcome. The beef, chicken, and pork is all responsibly raised as well, and the produce is sourced from farms that practice regenerative farming. And they all uh, send you the exact amount of the ingredient that you need for your recipe, so they help you reduce food waste. Uh, Andrew, this month, there's some stuff that you can eat. Do you want to hear about it? Yeah, tell me. I mean, can you? Are you you good? We'll find out. Uh, Okay. Seared chicken and creamy pasta salad with summer squash and sweet peppers. Creamy shrimp rolls with quick pickles and Ooh. sweet potato wedges. It's like pickles, but quick. Those pickles got to go fast. Fresh basil fettuccine pasta with sweet corn and cubanelle pepper. And chili butter steaks with Parmesan potatoes and spinach. Uh, I lo- Those all sound delicious, actually. Those all sound I good. I can't yeah, even and goof. The cool thing about Blue Apron, like, there are a bunch of cool things, but one of the cool things is that if you don't eat red meat or if you don't eat meat at all, like, you can, they give you enough options, like, in a given sure. week that you can pick and choose, um, like, what kind of food do you want to eat so you don't have to eat anything that you don't want to for, like, moral or health reasons, I guess. Yeah. And all <laughs> the meals come with, like, step by step recipe cards, and the ingredients are all pre portioned, as I said before. And you can make most of the meals, I think, in like 40 minutes or less. So, like, you get home. Yeah, usually, depending on how fridge. fast you are at chopping. Yeah. Your food's in the fridge, and 40 minutes later, bing, bang, boom, you got a meal. Bada bing, bada boom. So, if you like food, Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash overdue. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash overdue. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Nice. Hey, Andrew, I just wanted to remind you that we have some dates coming up. Oh really? Uh, are, yeah. Where are we? Where are we going? You gonna t- like take me mm. off for some Italian? <laughs> yeah. So first, okay. I'm gonna take you up to Boston. We're gonna eat some beans and we're gonna drink some coffee. <laughs> As they do in Bean Town, and we're mm-hmm. gonna hang out with our friends Christina and Camille at the PERX Podcast Garage on July 15th. If you don't have tickets for that already, you're probably out of luck. You're Hope. probably out of luck. I think there's like maybe one or two left if, as we are recording. If this. you are able to make plans to get to Boston and buy tickets, it's bit.ly slash overdue hotties. Good luck. Um, also, we have a show. We're going to come back to Philadelphia, Andrew. I'm going to buy you some cheesesteaks. And okay. then we're going to uh, get some water ice. And we're going to hang out at the Philly Podcast Festival on July 23rd at 5 p.m. So we're going to go to Kitchen Table Gallery, we're going to be full of cheesesteaks, and we're going to talk about books in front of a live studio audience. Mm, Sounds good. 
So, um, so for the for the Boston show, Craig is reading uh, Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. Yep. Which is an old classic. I read that one a ton when I was a kid, but Craig never read it. And then uh, for the Philly live show, I'm going to read uh, Anne of Green Gables, which Woo. was recently adapted into a Netflix series, I believe. Ooh, okay. Yeah. So maybe you watch a couple episodes of that. You come come with that heat. Yeah, come with that Anne of Green Gables heat. Let's do it. All right. So um, we'll have we have more information about those up on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash overdue pod. And we'll keep tweeting and, and posting stuff about the shows for people who want to show up. But yeah, make, make some plans. We hope to see you out there. The Philly show is free. Come see us. It's free. Yeah. Maybe should have not buried the lead on that one. <laughs> Oh, Craig, can I go play Switch again? Are we no, still doing this? We're Craig? still doing the podcast, you God, there's nerd. There's so many trailers I could watch. Quit being such a nerd. Let's talk about books. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why don't you push your taped up glasses up your nose and tell me about this play? Okay, so it takes place in Terre Haute, Indiana. Which is a cool place to know how to spell. Yeah. Do you know how to spell it? It's is it T E R R E H A U T E? You know I don't know. No, yeah, Are you you're right. Kidding me? I because <laughs> no because in my notes I put it wrong. <laughs> so there God, you go. Yeah, so I spelled it right. Thank you very much. Great, this whole podcast is suspect. Oh, um, so our our three main characters, our three old pals that we're going to meet at the top of this play are Willem Cubbert, Tansy McGinnis. And Axel Hammond. These are all good names. Those are all pretty good names. I mean, Axel is a better name if you're going to be in a band or work at a garage. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Willem Cubbert, he is our main character. He's an architect. He's a nice guy. He's smart, but he's kind of a pushover. Think like Te- he's like a Ted Mosby before Ted Mosby was Ted Mosby. Sure. Right. That's um, the How I Met Your Mother reference. Yes, right? it is. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tansy McGinnis is his lady friend, but they're not together. They're just good friends, but they're both sort of, right? This is like a sitcom. Mm -hmm. Um, She's interested in him, but she claims that he lacks gumption, among other things. I think she just, you know, wishes he was not a pushover. Who among us does not lack gumption, though? Uh, That's true. If you look at yourself and think you have enough gumption... Go away. <laughs> you are not work. Look, at, look in the mirror. Be honest with yourself. Do you have enough gumption? And I think if you perpetually find yourself lacking, then you're on the track to a better life, in my mm-hmm. personal opinion. Um, Tansy is just received word at the beginning of this play that she got an offer to move to D.C. to be a big-time TV weather forecaster. Now, this obviously is causing problems with her romantic prospects with willem he's obviously yes axel hammond is their best good third wheel friend um <laughs> who is sort of pretentious a little boozy he's a drama critic uh who never stays to the ends of shows um that's all that's a good hallmark to have i just feel like it would be i get. i feel like it would be bad like if like <laughs> If I go into interview at a at a at the AV club or something, and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm a TV critic, but I never watch season finales," or "Hey, I'm a movie critic, but I've never seen the last 15 minutes of anything." Yeah, I feel like they wouldn't. They maybe wouldn't hire me. I th- I think the joke here is that like 
it only nominally affects his performance because no play can be that good uh or he's funny because he doesn't care about his job like that seems don't you like it when theater people write excuses for them to make jokes about theater in their plays yeah and also to make fun of critics so like here's Mm -hmm. an example of the of a joke review that we get from axel very towards the very end of the play um oh he looks at his notepad and he's, he reads the title. It says, The Endless Plane. This is clearly a play that he did not see this evening. So he composes his review. The Endless Plane, in this reviewer's opinion, is plain endless. <laughs> That's really good, though. That's a pretty good joke. So Axel is like your Chandler Bing character. Like, he's there Ew. to say... Uh, not the worst parts. Think about the best parts of Chandler Bing. Just I, for you, a second. Your sentence doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> So he's there to make sarcastic, dry jokes at the expense of anyone and everyone all the time. He's your he's your punchline guy. Sure. Right? He's not zany, but he's your punchline guy. No, that's fine. You don't need to be zany. I mean, it helps, but you don't need to be. Yes. So we are in uh, Willem Cubbert's house for the entirety of the play. It's the second floor of his large house up in the trees in Terre Haute, Indiana. Um, as I said, he's an architect, and you see all of his like architectural designs on the walls, as the, as the stage directions note, inspired by past styles and all quite good. All right, great. He's a little artistic, but he lacks gumption. Sure. There's a very important prop here, Andrew, that sets this play squarely in the 1980s, refusing all updating. <laughs> On an end table, stage center, there's a telephone with an answering machine. Oh, boy. All right. And this is a quote. A particularly gifted one with remote and intercom capabilities. Yeah, I guess if you're going to do that now, would you just have, like, a phone with really good visual voicemail or something? (laughs) So there's, like, a lot of things about an answering machine that get used in this play that just would not work. Like, the idea that you would walk into a room listen to your messages out loud for all to hear the idea that you would like have a stockpile of voicemails that you would come home to that you'd have to listen to. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to say this is a, and, and maybe this is just cause I watched glow a couple weeks ago and really oh, sure. It. Yeah. But, um, I feel like one reason why people sort of like period dramas is it gives you, it gives you easy reasons to have people like not know information about each other mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. to like you're basically writing around the computer and the smartphone. Oh, oh, it, I, it, it, it makes character interactions more like interesting when you don't have to just watch them texting all the time. And I'm yes. also watching Master of None like you can make people <laughs> texting each other interesting, but it's also it, it can look pretty samey after a while. Yeah, and, and the old example I go back to is that the movie Big would not work if they had to wait six weeks to find the Zoltar machine or whatever it is. Yeah, like, right, the movie Big would not work. Like, no episode, going back to Friends, like, no episode of any 90s sitcom would work. <sighs> yeah. If okay. anybody had, like, texting. <laughs> and I, I remark on the answering machine because it, it is a plot point throughout the play. Mm-hmm. Um we learn about characters through it. it. Multiple characters interact with it to goofy effect. Um, so that's that's the whole thing. So uh, we're going to kind of go through the plot in uh, hopefully not excruciating detail um, because the end of the play really explains what the heck this whole thing is about. Sure, hit me. So it's Willem's 34th birthday. 
The play opens up with Tansy and Axel like leaping out from behind furniture, yelling surprise at him, and he replies, oh, hi. He's like not a happy camper. He's a stick in the mud. Um, I guess he's not excited to be 34. That's only a couple years off for us, so like, great. I'm 31. I'm going to live forever. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Uh, and we find out that Willem is like working on this architectural gig that he hates. Like It's very boring. Um, and of course he's sad that Tansy's going to be leaving in a few days and his Axel got him uh, a bottle of Jack Daniels for his birthday and Tansy got him six birthday cards that add up to 34, like with the numbers that they wish him, (laughs) which is like, again, it's pretty good. Um, and while Willem's out of the room, Axel and Tansy talk a little bit about like their future together and, you know, why doesn't she like Willem like that and she said the thing about gumption and then she throws back at Axel like hey remember that thing I asked you the other night uh if you'd ever done an anonymous favor for anyone um and you replied well what would be in it for me (laughs) and that is like the central challenge to Axel's character in this play and anonymous favors become a, a huge part of the rest of this story so Andrew have you ever done an anonymous favor so for someone can i i need you to define that a little bit better like give me an example okay so the central example in this play is that when willem was in vietnam um he was there for two days as a draftsman wandered into a rice field because he got lost got shot in the leg a bunch of times with a gun and passed out and he woke up in a hospital in japan because some guy who didn't know him at all had saved him and then like got discharged and disappeared. So like they don't know each other at all. Now they like write letters to each other. This guy, Rick Stedman, even though they've never met. um, And that is like a thing. Willem is a man of like painful obligation, but this idea of like anonymous selflessness like hangs above it like an ideal. Are you just talking about doing something for someone you don't know or have never met? Like is you don't like, not even don't know and have never met, but don't know and probably never will meet and you will never get credit for it. Okay, cuz I did like a while a, few, a couple months ago an old lady like wanted some help crossing the street and I realized like no, I was not having like a <laughs> leave it to beaver dream. This actually happened. Sure. And I was a little bit confused about about it happening but i did it and i was like okay bye like does that count i did that that's close i've done that before i've like helped someone with their like wheelchair get up like a tough curb or something like that kind of thing but or even like when then, someone drops something out of a stroller or yeah. something and you're like oh hey sir you dropped your whatever I've but done even that a couple then times. someone saw you do it like someone was conscious and knows hey that tall man in that button-down shirt and the cool socks helped me cross the street Sure. Have you ever done something for someone and they'll never know? I don't know. I don't know if I have ever done, like, I probably have, but I'm just like, it, it would have been one of those like small incidental things that you forget about almost as soon as you've done it. Like, or like a Rube Goldberg machine of favors. Like I set this cart in a particular spot. So the right person got it at the shopping store at like the grocery store. Oh yeah. Like I'll like every (laughs) once in a while I'll put like a, I'll put a cart in the cart thing. As opposed to just like leaving it in the parking lot. Well, no, like like not my own cart. Like if there's someone else's cart that's rolling around, like sometimes I'll do that. Does that count? 
let's say that it counts so that I'm we can make ourselves feel better. I'm trying to figure out like better. the smallest possible. <laughs> uh, once, okay, once Laura did one, she found a credit card on the street and called the number and had them cancel it. Oh, and then nice. we like chopped it up and threw it away. Cool. So that's I, that's a good modern one, I guess. That's a good one. I mean, it doesn't count for you because your wife did it. But <laughs> yeah, that's uh, still true. no, that's a good example. <laughs> hey, I cook. I cook for her favor. a bunch. So I'm I'm just keeping her strong for more anonymous favors. <laughs> uh, so that's that's the setup for like Axel and Tansy's relationship outside of Willem. And that, and li- a few pages later, you learn this backstory about Willem because we get an elaborate answering machine sequence where Willem walks in and like turns on his answering machine for all to hear and you get like a sequence of characters introduced. You also learn that Willem records a new outgoing message every day. That used to be a thing. Like, do you remember like novelty answering machine messages uh, where like they change the words to popular songs to be about leaving messages? That's yes, that's true. <laughs> uh, but he does like a like a kind of boring one where it's just like hey it's willem it's november 4th hope you had a happy halloween leave a message and then he'll like record and and like axel's like you're not supposed to tell people in your message that you're not in your house because they'll come rob you like okay that's a thing they also he also spells halloween that like weird way with an apostrophe oh yeah no that's the right way i do that too okay just halloween halloween Um, so the messages that we hear, like a couple folks that aren't, aren't going to make his party, a dude named Red from Virginia who's offering a, a job that he keeps ignoring. Um, that will come back later. We hear from his boss, Mr. Waldgrave, uh, who is the boring hotel owner. We hear from one of Axel's friends named Kemp Hall that we don't really learn much about. And then we get a message from Rick Stedman, good old Rick Stedman, uh, who says he's in town and is going to come by for a visit. Uh-oh. And Willem explains the story of, of the fact that Rick saved his life, and he told him that he would do anything for him, sw- stop by any time ever. I'll, do you need money? Do you need a house? Like, whatever. I know we keep asking these questions. Maybe this will be the last one for a while. Okay, have you, sure. Have you ever had one of those idle, like, if you're ever in town, say, hey things that people do but don't really like mean it because they assume the other person won't do it have you ever had one of those come back and like bite you i don't think i've ever had one come back and bite me i don't think i have either i'm just i was just curious i wish i had a good story about that yeah i well i wish i did but also i'm glad (laughs) i don't yeah like definitely at at our last uh college reunion a a couple years ago in in like a fuzzy drunken like warm state where i was just like back in this comfortable place with people who i hadn't seen in five years i definitely made a couple offers that i'm glad that nobody has taken me up on (laughs) sure well and we've got we've got family also that are like hey if you're ever in town if you're like finally on the east coast ever and you need a place to stay like we have a guest room now we can offer that to you kind of thing but I don't think we've ever gotten burned. I mean, our friend Rob has stayed in my place a couple times. And Rob is just, he's a dog made human form. So that's tough. But. Yeah, but like we continue hanging out with Rob willingly. I meant more like a like a 
casual acquaintance or somebody even who you didn't actually like all that much, but you didn't like dislike them enough to not talk to them when you saw them. No, (laughs) no, no, that has not happened to me. Knock on wood. And I'll be sure to update the podcast if I, if that does happen to me. Okay. So this guy, uh, Rick Stedman is coming to town. Yes. Now, before he gets here, the Waldgraves show up. Now, Waldgrave is the boss. He's coming by to check out some drawings of Willems, and he brings his wife, Clelia, and and their son, Thor. Okay, well, Thor is a good name, but Clelia is just two or three names <laughs> kind of smudged together. And Waldgrave's first name is Warnock, but he goes by Tiki. So no, like thanks. <laughs> names are all over the place in this play. So uh he's we, a his name is the Dungeons and Dragons, like a <laughs> like some kind of dwarf name. Yeah, Warnock Walgrave. Yeah. He runs the Smithy. Of the Neverwinter Waldgraves. <laughs> Meet my wife, Clelia, of the another of the Astral Plane. Um Yeah, she's a bard. Yes. So Clelia is fine. She is quote a picture. <laughs> I, I say that because she's kind of underwritten. Her part in the play, I think she could be a bigger character. Um, she is, quote, a picture of tasteful studied patience, but not because her life is devoid of anxiety. Um, and then we get a good stage direction for Thor. And this is a good, like, little kid on a terror stage direction. As for Thor, we know that there are good little boys. There are also precocious little boys, which is to say bad little boys whom we can somehow find it in our hearts to forgive. <laughs> Thor is neither. Thor is a monster and might well usurp the action from our other characters were he not soon relegated to another room. <laughs> so within so within a page, Thor locks himself in Willem's bedroom. Wardgrave is like bribing him with money to get him out because he's such a good dad. Uh, clearly a reveals that she relieves stress by breaking things. So she like carries cheap saucers around in her purse for the express purpose of like breaking stuff to make herself feel better you know 80s 80s farce characters andrew yeah yeah everybody's everybody's got a tick i feel like these were all like left on the cutting room floor from the (laughs) clue movie (laughs) uh so they at various points in the in the scene they all head off stage and thor emerges on his in his lonesome from the bedroom like dressed as like a monster like wearing like a bathrobe and like some of Willem's boxer shorts and like swinging a soap on a rope which is like a thing from the late 20th century yeah right Mm -hmm. um and Rick shows up at the door Rick Stedman but he's dressed for a Halloween party because of that thing from the answering machine machine so he's dressed as the creature from the Black Lagoon and scares the kid and then he thinks it's a surprise party, so he hides, and then later he scares everyone else. So already Rick is off to a great start. Yeah, no, def, def, definitely. <laughs> and he takes off his costume, and he's dressed as a like poster book, like poster poster book. That's not a thing. What's the word I'm looking for? Poster boy. Poster boy for being a nerd. I there guess. There you go. In the like classic. 80s like an archetypical sense. nerd yeah like he's wearing like a white shirt and a tie and parted hair and glasses and his like pants are a little too short the overall quote the effect is one of near adequacy okay 
Now I will. I'll. I found this review um, of a 1988 version of this play that was put on at the Arena Players Repertory Theater. Um, it's not a. It's not a great review. <laughs> sure. Um, it opens the best and perhaps only reason for seeing the nerd at the Arena Players Repertory Theater in East Farmingdale is Jared Roy's side-splitting performance in the title role. Other than that, there's not much here. And then later on, the reviewer uh, Leah Frank goes on to say it could be argued that Frederick DeFeese's decision to have Mr. Roy play the nerd as a Jerry Lewis imitation is distracting. Um, this is not a play about Jerry Lewis impersonations is a play about nerd extraordinaire Rick Steadman. Um, and, and yeah, like it sounds like it could just go into stereotype generic, like eighties college movie nerd. Yeah. Especially in like a modern production like it yeah. sounds like it could go into that territory super fast i don't quite know how you thread this needle um because he's not a particularly like likable character and he he makes he puts everyone on edge by like he doesn't really he messes up a lot of like anything that has more than one meaning like he deliber- he always chooses the meaning that makes the least sense for the conversation. Okay. He mixes up people's names. He says things that are just kind of bizarre. And what's interesting is that he's supposed to be from Wisconsin. So like they also have like a little bit of a yokel thing going on um with how he pronounces certain words like it's specific that he drops all of his G's and and some of his words are just written a little differently. Mm-hmm. Um so what happens is is that like he becomes it's quick it's apparent that he's insufferable everyone finds him weird he always grinds the conversation to a halt and like meanwhile axel's trying to like poke fun at waldgrave the whole time there's like they're trying to have this impromptu dinner uh to celebrate uh willem's birthday and rick is just this like boring guy who works at a chalk factory whose brother kicked him out of wisconsin and like gave him a bunch of money to go away uh <laughs> And that's it's it's not really working. And he keeps giving Tansy a hard time for all the food that she's making. And throughout all of this, Willem keeps having asides to people where he's like, yeah, but he saved my life. Like, I have to I have to let this guy be here, even if he sucks really bad because <laughs> he saved my life. So Tansy tries to like save the evening and says that they're going to play I'm going on a trip which is like a a road trip game not like a dinner party game how do you like do you just describe your ideal road trip or how's the how's the oh, game oh, how is she, how is she played this game this is the thing where you say like I'm going on a trip and I'm bringing an axe and then if you go you say I'm going on a trip and I'm bringing an axe and a baseball bat. It's a very violent trip that we're going on. And it's but just you, whoever, whoever forgets first? Well, or? yeah, and you have to go in alphabetical order, and you have to remember oh, everything. Okay, so I'm going on a trip, and I'm bringing an axe, a baseball bat, and cookies. <laughs> going on a trip, and I'm bringing an axe, a baseball bat, cookies, and a dog. I'm going on a trip, and I'm bringing an axe, a baseball bat, cookies, a dog, and elephant ears. <laughs> Okay, okay, you win. That's good. That's tasty. Okay, so, we still had a bunch like twenty one more letters, but sure, check yeah, it out. That's fine. That's great. Um, the problem is Rick doesn't play it good. He just interrupts and says, "I'm a map, so I know where I'm going." 
everyone's like, but Rick, the game, right? The, he's like, yeah, but it's really practical. If I was going no, on I'm, a trip. I'm, with, I'm with, with Rick on this one. Like, it's really more important for me to be practical in so, this case. So, of course, this game falls apart. And mm-hmm. he suggests a game of a, ga- <laughs> a game of shoes and socks, which here's how you play shoes and socks, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> you take off your shoes and socks and you put them in a bag. And then Rick's going to hide them while you poke holes in other bags and then put them over your head. So that you have one eye hole to look out of. Um, while this is happening, obviously physical comedy ensues. Like people get obviously. poked in the eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, Willem gets hit in the stomach. And again, the whole time, Willem, Willem's boss is in the room being co-opted in this game. And Willem's like, we gotta keep playing. He saved my life. Uh, and of course, this goes poorly because... At the after everyone's set, Rick's like, and now I need to read a passage from the Bible so we can get started. And we don't have a Bible in the house. And Rick gets all upset and we can't play shoes and socks. He knocks the bag of shoes and socks out into the lake. Obviously, everyone's upset about that. You know, he's just like a, he's just a rough dude to have around this Rick. It's yeah. not a good dinner party. You know? Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so like where does how far in the play are we we're now? coming up on the end of we're coming up on the end of act one walgrave walgrave gets pissed he leaves and it's a two acts play yeah yeah and the second act moves a little faster so the the thing to know about the end of act one is that like thor faints again willem tries to hide him in a closet uh walgrave gets pissed that his kid passed out and that his shoes got thrown in the lake and so the job is maybe in jeopardy rick is staying over as a house guest so, like, things can only get worse from here. Mm-hmm. The arc of Act 2 is that Tansy's going to leave, like, tomorrow, and Willem is going to die if he can't get rid of Rick. Like, Rick is ruining, we- like, job stuff for him. He is pre- going to, like, become an architect with Rick. It's it's bad news bears. <laughs> so, uh, Axel suggests a plan where they're going to get extra weird they're gonna try and weird rick out so this is where it becomes like an episode of seinfeld or friends or any sitcom just pick any, one yeah any like pre 21st century sitcom i think where it's like now we have to out weird the weird guy instead of just telling him to leave we have to try and incept him to make him think it was his thing so we don't hurt his feelings yeah there is a good exchange where, before this plan takes place where willem is talking to rick and he's having a really hard time trying not to hurt his feelings and he says so what if just like out yeah. of curiosity <laughs> what if somebody said to you get out of here and don't ever come back would you could you see what might lead a person to say that to you? <laughs> and Rick says, Oh sure. And Willem's all excited because like maybe he gets it. Maybe and he's r- picking it up what he's putting down. And Rick's like, like if he hated me because I believed in God. And then he gets into it like a game. He says, Or maybe he sure. hates people because they work in a factory. And he hates me because my fr- my hands are all rough and stained with honest chalk. How about because I was in the war and this guy hates people with purple hearts? Oh my god. And Willem's like, no, it's fine. I just sorry. Never mind. <laughs> Never I'm sorry mind. I brought it up. <laughs> uh but then after that, Rick ruins another job thing, and Willem calls Axel and he's like, Okay, let's rehearse the plan. So the plan is to be super weird uh at a dinner party oh, wow, for, really? for That's Rick. Weird. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like they they put a bunch they pretend to have a bunch of like Terre Haute traditions 
that are going to weird Rick out into leaving and make him feel like excluded and awkward and just like that he doesn't belong, which of course he doesn't belong because he's okay. weird. Yeah, right. He's a weirdo. So just like here's just a list of things they do. They like put sand in their tea before they drink it. They tell weird made up stories about their childhoods. They offer Rick boiling tar to put on his face. They tell him that all the people die in the winter in Terre Haute, Indiana, mostly the sick and the old people. They of course, before yeah. they can eat dinner, they have to stare at an apple core until it turns brown. Um, there are a bunch of pigs outside, and Rick has a pig phobia, so they play up the pig thing, which, of course, Andrew, tur- like, spirals out of control until Willem is pretending that once he got bit by a pig and he's going to turn into some sort of pig monster, to which Rick responds, I ain't going to miss this. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. And then they then they have to, like, go through this big fake ritual that, that Axel is, like, making up to, like, absolve... Willem of his pig demon sure and then like Rick actually takes over the ritual while they're doing it which none of them can believe happens um and in the middle of all that Waldgrave comes back over Rick ruins that interaction Waldgrave cancels the whole hotel contract with Willem ruining his life again um and Willem is like okay Rick get out he packs <laughs> he packs his bags and he shoves him out the door and then like that half took yeah. a bit it took a bit right <laughs> mm-hmm. um now, he then has, like, a whole light bulb moment where he realizes that that job was terrible for him. He is now free to leave Terre Haute and take this job in Alexandria, Virginia, so that he can then, like, actually pursue a romantic relationship with Tansy. Yeah, do it. Um, and so Tansy and Willem are kind of excited, and they leave the room. And, a- and here's spoilers for the end of The Nerd. Here we go. Axel's good friend, Kemp Hall, whom up until this moment we've only heard on voicemail messages, right. calls on the phone, says, did everything work out? And Axel's like, yes, it did. You can come on up. Mm-hmm. Kemp Hall appears, Andrew. Lo and behold, it's the same guy as Rick Stedman. Whoa, is he just putting one over on everybody? He and Axel had this long con oh, no. to, like, absolve Willem of his like good guy obligation and like to free him so that he could go and be with Tansy. Oh, that's actually so nice. Here's the, here's the double twist. The guy, oh, no. in a- the guy in Al- Alexandria also not real. <laughs> <laughs> what? So there's no job waiting for him there, but his girl will be there, I guess. Mm, okay so you win some you lose some i guess and meanwhile axel has played a giant prank on two of his best friends that convinces them to leave their city so i guess he just made himself lonely the play doesn't really dwell on that i mean it sounds like he he only befriends people ironically anyway so <laughs> he's probably gonna be he's probably happy to be alone honestly so that's like a cool reveal at the end that i'm sure gets like a huge uproarious applause when you see that actor appear, like not as the nerd, yeah, I feel like this is a this is an obscure enough play that if you actually did see a production of it, you'd still be like, "What?" Like yeah. you wouldn't see the twist coming. And they don't they don't uh, list Kemp in the like character list in like playbills or anything. Okay, so you don't like you're not waiting for another character to show up, which is usually it's something that I do if I've like read the playbill. And I know that there are like X number of people in it. I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm just waiting on that person. Um, And that never, that doesn't happen. 
See, I um, like when TV shows like have a guest character or something return and they don't put them in the credits. That's, yeah, that kind that's of thing. Kind of good stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it is interesting to then because I was then rereading parts of this play before we recorded. Of like, okay, so that's a guy just doing like the best improv ever for like a week. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> There's like a story where they're on a he goes on a work trip on a plane with Willem and like accidentally tricks a bunch of people into peeing their pants during turbulence. Like, who is this guy and how is he able to commit to this con for his buddy for a week? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit. That's I don't know. Maybe that's he just loves him that much, you know? Yeah. Got to hurt him to love him. Maybe he also loves to lie like all the time. (laughs) That's true. That's true. So it's a fun play. It's a funny play. I think some of the one-liners don't read as good on the page as they might in real life. And even then, they're 30-year-old one-liners, so maybe they so don't So maybe they've play. lost some of their potency. Yeah. I think they're like spices. Like, you can still use them, but they just don't have the flavor they used to. Yeah. When you, you saw that um that production of Laughter on the 23rd Floor with me a couple months ago. Yes. And that I that is a more recent play than this, but it's like set in the 60s and kind of jives in that type of comedy. And it also it, it relies on the just the pitter patter and whatever charisma mm-hmm. the actors have to to sell the comedy sometimes like it's it's in the delivery rather than the lines itself and yes. i also know that some members of our party like that play more than others oh do. yeah and i yeah. i think partially too and something that's maybe an undercurrent of this play that i don't have access to in in 2017 is the like post nom what that might mean to people seeing the play in 1981. Sure. Yeah. Um, what that meant to shoe writing it. Um, part of that whole like obligation that Willem feels to him. Like I obviously would do anything for you. Right. But it's not cause you like saved my life in a rice field. Or did I, was that your anonymous favor? You scoundrel. <laughs> um, You're welcome. But like, my obligation is fulfilled by <laughs> going to go play Nintendo Switch. Okay, great. But I don't know that I, like, I certainly don't have that kind of, like, Wookiee life debt, you know? Sure. And You could have just said life debt. I don't know why it needs to be a Wookiee thing. That's a part of the Star Wars universe. Wookiee no, life debt. That's why he follows Han Solo it. around. Oh, I know. That's... Why yeah. is Fat Albert following Han Solo around? <laughs> but yeah, that's a that kind of like if this play is gra- grappling with anything aside from goofs, it's like the limits of obligation, like Willem's desire to please people, both like from a professional angle, and you're like waiting for the shoe to drop for him to realize this is a bad job. Right. But like yeah. when you don't know about the Rick Steadman thing, you're like, wow, I don't. I I guess I guess I don't know when I would tell that guy to go away. Yeah. I mean it also like I wanted to go back cuz cuz we were talking about like plays where the delivery and the performances save the save sure. the stuff. I'm not, I didn't mean that as like a criticism no, of no. the writing even like it was it was intended to be experienced that way. So Yeah, sure. Probably like when we do plays for the show, we are yeah, we probably are missing something. But um 
I wanted to ask if you had any examples of stuff you liked or stuff that fell flat or. Hmm. Or well, so you, I, I don't know if you picked any like stuff out of the pros that you wanted to, to show off other than what you've told me about already. Read a little bit already. Let me just see if there is another thing. So there, there's one thing that I, I don't trust it as a gag, and I've alluded to it a couple of times. So it's not even quite the prose, but it's just something in the structure of the play. The Rick's creature of the Black Lagoon costume that gets a bunch of like sight gags in the piece is all all rests on whether or not the kid is a good actor. So like. First, it's when he first appears as a monster and the kid has to, like, scream and run away. Like, you have to... I guess that's funny. I don't trust it. The review does specifically say that the person who plays the Walgrave son seems ill at ease in the part, and it... Kids are tough, man. Yeah, and if it... Like, if it relies on him being very big and exaggerated and kiddish then yeah i can totally see how that would be a criticism you would level against somebody so then like when rick takes off part of the costume he puts the head on top of the answering machine then oh, and then do you get some gags where like the answering machine is talking and, and it's the, the monster oh, and boy. the and the kid freaks out and then the last one when the kid faints is the the costume's been hung up in the closet and the kid tries to run in the closet sees it and passes out so like I I get it. I don't. Again, I'm very distrustful. I in don't. In the hands of a gifted physical performer, it <laughs> sure. could be kind of funny, and, which is probably the kindest thing I can say about it. At this and point. I would, I would. Oh man, it would be really tough to make sure that you don't telegraph those jokes. Like for me, like you made such a big deal of the answering machine by now. If you do anything else to it, like I'm just waiting for that monster thing to happen, and it better be freaking funny. <laughs> Uh-huh. Like, the closet thing sounds like it could work because you it's get, the third. It's the third. It's in the third pattern thing, too. and you, yeah, and yeah. and and it's hidden, and like you might not be expecting it, and it's like, oh man, this is the last time they can go back to that before it becomes annoying, <laughs> and they really knocked it out of the park on that one. Yeah. Um. The other. So like one of the one of the Chandler. I. It's not even a Chandler Bing goof, but like one of the things that Axel says at one point in his like curmudgeonly sarcasm thing is that when he first when he any more of a play reviewer when (laughs) when he first meets uh thor and the kid is run off into the room he describes him as a poster child for planned parenthood (laughs) which is like ah you know nowadays you'd have to provide like a big like paragraph the in the program right there. about like what services Planned Parenthood does and does not provide and the proportion God. of services and what they can use federal money for. It would be a thing. It would be a big thing. PC culture, am I right? Uh, this, um, this review also complains about <laughs> PC culture. Of course it does. Uh, and then like one of the... So the, the play does try to make goofs with like names and people's names. We already kind of riffed on Clelia and the Walgraves earlier. Um, there's like an exchange that I don't love again where Rick and again like this better work if you have the right guy Rick is introducing himself to the to Mr. Walgrave and he says right Taki Tiki what Tiki my name is Tiki Tiki oh okay right right what right Tiki (sighs) no I'm saying what's the question what question 
what question? And then they do ticky and talky for like another page. That's what I'm saying. Third base. What? <laughs> yeah. It's God. it's so like you don't come to this play looking for you know edge of your seat plot thriller stuff like you really have better have some winsome performers to make this thing sing you know and and sure, I, yeah i also like i can see how the like goofy uh we're really weird here in Terre Haute stuff could either play really well or feel really bizarre and just like what do you mean? Why did you do a prop gag with a steaming bo- like bowl of hot tar? Like, where did that even come from? And you're only going to reference it once? Okay. I like, tell you what, that stuff probably kills in Terre Haute. <laughs> yeah, it probably does. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's a. I mean, it's a cool play. I I think it might feel dated. I I would really I would like to see like a really top notch professional production of it. I mean, it does have an it does hinge on an answering machine I know. a few times. So. I know. Um well, yeah, and I, I just don't know that the like the question of will they or won't they with uh Willem and Tansy is very kind of like secondary to just we got this goofy guy to show up and play a fun character. Um Yeah, that's the play. All right. There you go. That's it. All right. It felt nerd. it felt like a long episode of a sitcom in a very in a good way, but not it's not trying to it's, be it's high like, theater. Yeah, right. It's not elevating the form or anything. It is it's just the kind of thing you'd flip on the TBS superstation and watch. And you'd laugh at it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So if you have laughed during this episode, <laughs> <laughs> and you wanted to tell us about it, or you've seen a production of this play and you have some thoughts, you can find us online and share your thoughts uh, at facebook.com slash overduepod, twitter.com slash overduepod, or our email account at overduepod at gmail.com. Uh, a bunch of folks have reached out to us this week. So thank you to Liz, Aaron, Lucas, Christina, Catherine, Starfish Chick, Stu, Jennifer, Allie, Leanne, Melissa, Teresa, Rebecca, Jen, uh, Wendy, Jenny, Mickey, Philip, DL, and I have here Chill. I don't know if that's someone's name or if that's an autocorrect, but Chill, thanks. Thanks, <laughs> Chill. Uh, Andrew, what else do people need to know? Um, if people want to find out anything else about the show, including like links to subscribe to us on iTunes and other services, um, learn about our Patreon project, see the books that we're going to be reading for the rest of the month, uh, they can go to overduepodcast.com, which is our internet website. Um, did you mention, you mentioned the Gmail address, right? I did. You, you did. didn't All mention right. uh, our friends at HeadGum or our hosts at Spreaker. Those are good people. Thanks, guys. I did I did not mention them, but I'm glad that you did. Um, also, just to repeat, we have live show coming up this weekend in Boston. Find out more about that at bit.ly slash overdue hotties. And then the week after that, we have a free show coming up as part of the Philadelphia Podcast Festival. You can find out more at phillypodfest.com or we will be posting more information on our social pages over the next couple weeks. So we hope we can see you guys at one or at both of those. Andrew, what are you reading for next week? Um, I am reading a book called Alias Hook by uh, Lisa Jensen. It's like a 
it's like what if wicked but peter pan <laughs> all right i'm for it i'm here yeah for it. i think so too <laughs> all right thank you everybody for listening we will see you next monday and until then try to be happy That was a headgum podcast. I just play I can play trailer videos. Oh, let's let's see what Mario and his boys are up to. Which boys? His car cart boys. Boy. This is good. Imagine if I was playing this game instead of just watching it. <laughs> You're taunting me with your nothing machine. Oh, it's a ghost. Oh, Mario, you got a feather. What are you doing? Oh, man. That's a sweat slick move. You're speaking as if you've never seen a Mario Kart before. I've never seen it like this. Oh, snap. There it is. Yeah. Switch. Switch. I can't snap, but you can do it. There you go. All right. I'm going to put it away now. But I might, like, if you're boring later, I might pick it back up and start watching more trailers. <laughs>